right. Amen. All right. Praise God. Let's take our Bibles out this morning and uh, open them to the book of Hebrews chapter 13. And I actually thought I would be finished with this uh, series in Hebrews uh, several weeks ago, but it just keeps on coming. So, and I just, can't, I just can't stop. So I pray that the Lord is blessing you with his word in the way that he's blessing me as I, as I study more and I, as I prepare. Uh, God is just showing me more and more from his word. And it's a joy to stand up here and share it with you. You know, um, as I was telling the children, when I, as I was growing up, and I was the youngest of three children. So um, I have an older sister. She passed away this last year, actually. Uh, I went to be with the Lord, praise God. I have an older brother, and uh, then uh, there's myself. As I was growing up, um, I had, um, I was, um, let, me, let me see if I can put this right. I knew that I was loved, but I wasn't always exactly sure about my place uh, you know, in the family. In fact, my mom uh, used to joke about it. She doesn't joke about it anymore, but, uh, but she used to joke about it, you know, that, that all of us kids, we all had, uh, you know, a similar problem. Like my older sister, she had the oldest child syndrome. My brother had the middle child syndrome, and I had the youngest child syndrome. So every problem that we had was a result of, you know, we were either the oldest, the middle, or the youngest, you know, and we would blame it on that. And she would, she would actually laugh about that. But, you know, honestly, I wasn't always sure about as the youngest child, because it seemed like, you know, I got the hand-me-downs and everything else. I wasn't quite positive that I really belonged or fit in or was even wanted. But, you know, my, one of the great desires, I remember this quite uh, you know, quite distinctly was, was to please my parents. And not just my parents, but my dad in particular. You know, as I was growing up, my dad was the strongest guy, the smartest guy. I mean, he was, you know, he really was kind of a larger-than-life figure, and I was a little bit afraid of him because he was a disciplinarian. But I really wanted to please him. And quite honestly, as I, as I grew up, um, uh, you know, a lot of my life was kind of focused on trying to please him. I never was quite sure that I did until, you know, when I was eight years old and I gave my life to Christ, I got saved. And I'll never forget my dad's response. And really for the first time in my life, I really felt like that dad was, uh, was pleased with me or that he was happy with me. I know that's kind of interesting, you know, to say it, but I'm just, that's just kind of the reality. I really felt like because he was a preacher that, um, that maybe uh, I ought to be a preacher too. I wasn't sure uh, at the time that God was calling me, I didn't quite understand all of that stuff. But, uh, but I, I, I really, as I, when I was very young, I wanted to be like my daddy because I felt like that, you know, that would, that would make him happy. I think that's the way I was thinking anyway. When I was 14 years old, I really believed that God was calling me to preach or to, he was calling me to ministry anyway. I wasn't exactly sure. I thought maybe I was going to uh, be, uh, uh, be a music uh, minister in some way because uh, I like to sing. Not that I am very good at it, but I love to sing. And, uh, and at the time, Dad was, uh, he was the director of the Union Gospel Mission. And on Sunday, I would go down and he would preach and I would lead the singing to all the, uh, to all the guys on Skid Row that had come, uh, you know, to get a meal and uh, to get a place to stay for the night. 
And uh, so I really felt like God was calling me into ministry. And, and one of the first things, one of the first persons I shared it with was my dad. Uh, and he really was, uh, I think he was excited. I think he was happy about it and he was happy for me. Now, I actually rebelled over the next several years. I rebelled against that. In fact, it wasn't until I was about 24 years old that, uh, I, that God brought me back to this place. And it was more about his call rather than not me being like my daddy, you know. And, uh, and so I responded. I'll never forget the, the, the Sunday when we, we were having a revival service in our church and a, a preacher from uh, Southwestern Seminary just up in Idaho was preaching. And uh, I just uh, remember quite clearly that God was saying, and this is it, son. Yeah, I mean, you're either going to follow me or, man, this is, I mean, are you going to give your life to me completely now? And I really did. I walked down. I totally surrendered my life to the Lord at that point and, uh, and followed the Lord into ministry. Now, the very first one or one of the first people I called was my dad because I wanted him to know, you know, and, I, and again, I wanted him to be pleased with me. I remember, uh, you know, being like 24, 25, 26 years old. I had, uh, I had uh, been in the Navy. I had, uh, you know, operated a nuclear power submarine. I was married. I had children and everything else. But when I was around my dad, I felt like I was about eight years old sometime, you know, and I'm not saying that he made me feel that way. I just felt that way. And maybe it was because of the younger child syndrome. I don't know. But, um, but it wasn't until just, uh, just shortly before his death, he died, he passed away, went to be with the Lord in 2013, that I had the opportunity to really uh, give back in ministry to my dad. And I had the opportunity to spend some time with him, in particular when he was in the hospital. And I'll never forget, we were sitting there one night, and uh, 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 he was in the hospital, and he, he, was, he was doing better. He wasn't doing well, but, but he wasn't able to sleep, and we were talking. And, uh, and somehow, someway, I don't remember the, the whole gist of the conversation, but I said, you know, Dad, I, I just have, uh, you know, I, I've tried to live in a way that you would, you know, be pleased with me, that you would be pleased with me. And he said, well, son, let me, let me tell you something. Let me, let me tell you two things that are true. Number one, I am pleased with you because you're my son. He said, I've loved you. I've always loved you from the very moment. First time I saw you, I've loved you, and I've been proud of you. May not have always expressed it. You might not always realize that, but, but, but I am pleased with you as my son. He said, but the second thing, and this is probably more important, son, is you probably need to, to worry about whether or not God, the Father, is pleased with you rather than where I'm pleased with you. Because what I think about you ultimately is, is not of any significance, but what God thinks is the most important significance. And he would just said, son, I would just ask you, do you think God is well pleased with you? And I tell you what, it made me think. I want to ask you that question this morning. Do you think God is pleased with you? I mean, you think about it. If we, if we, want, to, if we want to please if we want to please our parents, and, and most of us, you know, we, we live in a way, you know, to, to please somebody, Right? I mean, when you're younger, you want to please your parents. You get married, you want to please your spouse, I would think, or you ought to, right? You have a job, you want to please your boss. If you don't please the boss, you're not going to have the job too long. I mean, you know, I mean, it might be that, that our whole life is spent trying to please somebody. How about God? Have you ever even thought about, I mean, about pleasing the Lord. I mean, especially as a child of God. I mean, if I call myself God's child, wouldn't that imply that a big part of my life, I mean, would be in this desire to please God? And I just ask you that question. Is God pleased? Back 
you know, uh, many years ago, there was a song that uh, we used to sing. It was actually written by B.B. McKinney, the great Southern Baptist hymn writer. And he said uh, in his song, I am satisfied with Jesus. He has done so much for me. He has, uh, he uh, died. Let me see, how does the word go? I am satisfied with Jesus. He has done so much for me. He was sacrificed to save me, gave his life and set me free. Right? Remember that song? And then he goes, I am satisfied. I am satisfied. I am satisfied with Jesus. But then the last line. But the question comes to me as I think of Calvary. Is my master satisfied with me? Right? You remember that? You ever ask yourself that question? God, are you satisfied with me? I wonder, Lord, are you pleased with me? And I guess the question then comes, well, how can I please God? What does it take for God to be pleased with me? You know, from the very beginning of history, and I mentioned last week in, in, in the sermon on the sacrifice of praise, that people from the beginning of recorded history have been worshiping God. They've believed in God or gods. I'm not saying that everybody believed in the true God. They had idols and those type of things. But, but they believed in, in some kind of higher being or God. Many people, I think, believed in the true God. Um, and they wanted to please him. And, and they offered sacrifices. And the sacrifices that they brought from God, from the very beginning of recorded history, they brought sacrifices to God in order to have a right relationship with him, but then in order to please God. I mean, it was understood that, that when I laid that sacrifice on the altar and, it, and, and the, the, the smoke went up, and if you've ever, uh, you know, barbecued a steak, you know what, how good that smells, Right. And, uh, and so that's the thinking. It's this, this, this sweet, uh, wonderful aroma goes up to God, and he is pleased with it. You see the same thing in the Bible. The Hebrews were taught this, this very thing, that in order to have a right relationship with God, you offered your sacrifices to him. You brought these sacrifices before God. And not only did that put you in a right relationship with him, but it... Um, uh, it was pleasing to God. And so this sweet aroma of the sacrifices was pleasing to God. Now, when we get to the New Testament, we find that Jesus is the perfect sacrifice. He's our sacrifice. But, you know, the big thing was, was that Jesus was pleasing to God. In Matthew chapter 3, when Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist, the Bible says that the voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased, right? So God the Father pleased with God the Son. In John chapter 8, verse 29, Jesus himself said, the one who sent me is with me. And he's talking about God the Father. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone because I always do what pleases him. You get that? Jesus said, I always do what pleases God the Father. I am well pleased in him, God the Father said. So, so Jesus, the perfect sacrifice, finished the work that God the Father gave him to do, completed it. It is finished. Tetelestai as he hung on the cross. 
Salvation complete. It's done. There's nothing left for you to do. And God the Father, by the sacrifice of the blood of Jesus, uh, pleased with him, demonstrated by raising him from the dead. And so the resurrection is a demonstration of the pleasure of God in the sacrifice of Christ. And then when he comes to live within you and me. Now, if the Lord Jesus lives within your heart and life, now watch this. He is pleased when someone like you or me come to God by faith in Christ Jesus and the blood of Jesus is applied uh, to our hearts and lives, our sin washed away. Now, what the Bible teaches is, is that God is not only your Savior, he's your Father, and he's pleased with you. In fact, there's no other way to please God except through Christ Jesus. In fact, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. You cannot please God apart from the Lord Jesus. There's no other way. In fact, the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8, verse 7 and 8, he's talking about someone who is separated from God or the mind of flesh. And he says the mindset of the flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it is unable to do so. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. See that? Cannot please God. Those who are in the flesh are those who have not been uh, renewed in the Spirit by the Spirit of God, by your sin being washed away. So you're in this sinful flesh, and he says there's no way it is impossible to please God. And you might recall that in Hebrews chapter 11, we saw in verse 6 in that great roll call of faith, he said, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So how do I please God? I come to him by faith in Jesus Christ. Because if it's impossible to please God without faith, then I must have faith. Faith in who? Faith in what? Faith in Jesus. Faith in the, in the sacrifice of Jesus. Faith in the uh, redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Faith in what he did for me. And when I come to him by faith and he comes to live within me, now God is well pleased with me. Beloved, you know the reality is, and I, I would guess this is probably true for each one of us. And those of you who are parents, you understand this. I was, I was a child of my father and he loved me and he was pleased with me, even though he might not have always been happy with the things I did, but he's pleased with me because I'm his son. Beloved, in Christ Jesus, God is pleased with you. I want you to hear that. If you don't hear anything else, hear that. Now, I want to talk to you a little bit more about this, but watch this. God loves you, and he gave his son Jesus to die on the cross for you. That's the demonstration of God's love. Romans 5, 8, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The love of God demonstrated for us. And when you come to him by faith and the blood of Jesus is applied to your life and your sin is removed and now you stand before God, right before God, you are well-pleasing to God because of Christ Jesus in your life. And there's nothing that can change that because he said, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you, no one can pluck you out of my hand. When Christ Jesus lives within you, you are pleasing to God. Now, God might not always be happy with what you do. Let's make that distinction. But he is pleased with you as his child.
But as a child of God, if God is pleased with me, now I want to live my life that is pleasing to God. I'm not going to live my life so that I will be pleasing to him. I am pleasing to him. I want to live my life because he is pleased with me, and I want to please God with my life. That's what it means to be a child of God. And if that's not the desire of your heart, you need to go back and check your relationship with God. If you don't care about pleasing God or you don't care what God thinks about you, you need to go back and, th and, and, uh, and examine whether or not you really belong to him or where the blood has been applied by faith. Because when you're a child of God, there's going to be a desire in your heart, I want my life to please God. Now, the question I want to ask you this morning is, how do you do that? How by your life... Do you please God? What does it take with the way you're living your life to please God? Well, that brings me to this passage or this one verse in Hebrews that I want to share with you. I want to just remind you again that people brought sacrifices to God. This was pleasing to God. Now, Jesus is our sacrifice, and so God is pleased with that. But now do I have a sacrifice uh, myself to bring? And uh, the writer taught us that uh, this, this last week, uh, if you were here, uh, you heard this in uh, verse 15. If you weren't here last week, uh, we got it on our website. You can go to fbcbrazari.org. We, uh, we have the sermons uploaded there, and you can find it. And listen to that sermon, the fruit of your lips. And so the writer says in verse 15, Therefore, through him, that is Jesus, let us, all of us, continually offer up to God a sacrifice of praise. That is, the fruit of lips that confess his name. Now, what we said about that was, now we have a sacrifice. And that sacrifice is the sacrifice of our praise. And what is that? It is the fruit of lips. And I, what I told you was that, when, that, that fruit is what is produced when the sap rises in the tree. You can't stop an apple tree from producing fruit if, if the conditions are right, if the sap is rising. And for a child of God, your life is going to produce the fruit of righteousness if the Spirit of God is rising or active in your life. All right? And so the fruit of our lips uh, is the sacrifice of praise. It is the Spirit of God at work within us, and you're not gonna, your life is not going to help but produce uh, this, this sacrifice of praise. Now watch this. In your relationship with God, you have a vertical relationship. So you're going up to God this way, and the fruit of your lips, the sacrifice of praise, is that. It, it works in a vertical way in which you go up to God. All right? But watch this now. You also live in this world, and you have horizontal relationships as well. So you've got this vertical relationship, and that's the fruit of lips, the sacrifice of praise. Is there another sacrifice, what we might call the sacrifice of my life? Look down at verse 16. This is the verse I want to focus on today. Don't neglect to do what is good and to share, for God is pleased with such sacrifices. God is pleased with such sacrifices. Now, what he's talking about there is the way you live your life. He's going to talk about doing good and sharing, all right? I'm going to talk about that here in just a minute. But first of all, I just want you to see that the sacrifice of praise goes up this way to God. It, it is, a, it is a, the way I connect with him. Uh, but my sacrifice of my life goes out this way and the way I live my life towards others. 
matters to God. This is what I was talking about a minute ago with the children because the Lord Jesus said, love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Goes up this way. Love your neighbor as yourself. Your life goes this way. And the writer of Hebrews says both of these are sacrifices of our life. One is the sacrifice of lips that profess his name. And the other is the sacrifice of the way we live our lives. So the question is, again, how do I please God with my life? And what he's talking about here is the fruit of our life. I've, that's what I've entitled this sermon, the fruit of your life. And there's two things here I want you to see, I think, that are very important in terms of how do I live my life in a, as a sacrifice before my God because I want to please my God. These are the sacrifices that please God, all right? So here we go, two things. First one is doing good, doing good. So look at what he says there in verse 16. He says, do not neglect to do what is good. Now, this doing good is not referencing to the things that I do in my life for myself or even in who I or what I am. It's how I relate to other people. So in other words, it's not like doing bad would be uh, cussing, smoking, drinking, you know, going with women who do, okay? Don't cuss, smoke, drink, or you'll go with girls who do, right? I mean, so that's not what he's talking about. Or doing good would be not doing those things, right? So if I don't cuss, smoke, drink, or chew, or go to church, pray, read my Bible, all those things are good, right? And, and the answer is yes, those things are good, but that's not what the good he's talking about here. He, when he says, don't neglect doing good, he's not just saying, uh, just make sure you read your Bible and go to church and pray and, uh, you know, be sure and tithe and all that stuff. That's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about making a difference in other people's lives. He's talking about reaching out in your life to other people. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, the apostle Paul said, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us work for the good of all. That's the good he's talking about. The good of all. The way it impacts or touches other people's life. And you see this, of course, in Matthew chapter 25. Jesus said, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty. You gave me something to drink. I was naked. You, you clothed me. I was sick and you uh, took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. And then the righteous say, well, hold on just a minute, Lord. When did we ever see you uh, hungry or or thirsty, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did all those things. And he said, when you've done it unto the least of these, my children, you've done it unto me. There's the sacrifice. I give my life up to the Lord to do good. All right? So that's it. How, how does my life become a sacrifice to God? I do good. Now, what's the problem with that? The problem is the question, what is good? What do you have to do in order to do good? And I'll tell you, it's not always easy to know what is good. Do you know what is good all the time? I'll tell you, I don't. Let me give you a couple of examples about uh, problems that I see in knowing what is good. One is, a, uh, one is just a made-up example, although it could have happened. The other actually did happen. But I want you to suppose that, um, that uh, you're here at the church and somebody comes uh, looking for some help. And we have folks coming to the church for help all the time. 
And uh, let's suppose this uh, individual, this guy comes, and he says, hey, listen, I lost my job. It was, it was from no fault of my own. You know, it was a boss I had, and uh, he just didn't like me. And so I lost my job, and we're about to lose our house, and our electricity has been turned off, and I got five kids at home, and we don't have enough food, and, uh, and they're cold. Could you? All I'm asking for is just a little bit of money to pay our electric bill so we can get the electricity turned on and uh, we can uh, warm our family, okay? So you're a benevolent person. You love the Lord. You love people. And you're thinking, well, you know what? I, I mean, that would be something good. I'm going to help. I'm going to help these folks. And so you take some money, some of your money, some of the church's money, whatever, and uh, uh, you give this guy the money to pay his electric bill so that uh, his family can be warmed and all these things. Except what you don't know is, is that he really is a drug addict and he didn't want money to pay his electric bill. He wanted money to go buy drugs. And that's what he took. He took that money and he bought some drugs. It was laced with fentanyl. He overdosed and died. Now, let me ask you a question. You gave him money. Was that good? Was it good? Did you do good? Let me give you another example. This one actually happened here in our church. Uh, this many years ago, I was here at the time, so I've been here 16 years, so it was pretty close to uh, not too long after I came. We had a family in our church, a very faithful family. They came to church all the time. They were involved in Sunday school, and uh, he did lose his job. The, the husband lost his job, and because of the type of work that he did, he had a hard time finding, uh, he had a hard time finding work, and the, and the family was struggling. Now, this couple were, was very active in our Sunday school. They were active in a Sunday school class. And so the Sunday school class loved the Lord and loved the family. Said, let's just, what if we, uh, you know, just kind of took up an offering among ourselves. They didn't go out and talk to anybody. They didn't make a big deal about it. But in their Sunday school class, they took up some money. And it was a significant amount of money. And, and the Sunday school teacher came to me and said, hey, we took this up. Let's go. Uh, share this with the couple. So he and I went and we visited with the couple. We didn't make a big deal about it. We didn't say, we just sat down with them and said, hey, you know, this is just a, an offering of love. We know you've been having a hard time and we just wanted to bless you and your Sunday school class, your brothers and sisters in Christ love you and just want to walk with you through this. We, we gave them the money. All right. And they received the money. Never came back to church again. And when, I, uh, and when I visited with this family after that, and I said, hey, we've been missing you and everything. And, you know, it finally came out. This is what they said. They said, well, you know what, Brother Greg? Now we've, we, took this, we, we took this offering, and we appreciate it and everything, but now we feel guilty. And we feel like people, if we go to church, we walk into that church, people are going to be looking at us and saying, oh, well, those are the people that uh, couldn't take care of their bills. We had to help them, blah, blah, blah. And so we, um, and so we just, we can't go back to that church because we know that everybody will be judging us and thinking evil about us and all this other stuff. And I said, that's crazy. <laughs> I said, that's crazy. But, but, but that's the way it was and never came back to this church and to my knowledge there. This, this entire family is not in church anymore. Now, again, I ask the question, did we do good? Did we do right? See, how do you know what is good? You know, brothers and sisters, we live in a fallen world. And people don't always do right. People don't always think right. How in the world do you know how to do good if bad can come out of it, right? And is it good? How do you, how do you even know? Now, now, the point here is, is because this world is broken and messed up, it's not always easy. Sometimes it's impossible to know what is good. So I ask again the question, how do you do good? Well, let's go back to the start. What does it take to please God? 
faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God, right? Hebrews eleven six. So by faith, I'm connected with God through Christ Jesus. And now he comes to live within me. And watch this. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5, the Bible says, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with what? Goodness. And goodness, knowledge. Now watch what happens. When you come to faith in Christ, in Je- or you come to, to faith in Jesus, he comes to live within you. And the Holy Spirit is alive within you. And then the Spirit of God begins to produce fruit within you. So, so Peter says here, add to your faith goodness and knowledge. Well, how do you add those things to your life? How do you do that individually? Well, as the Spirit of God lives within you, Watch this. The Spirit of God begins to produce fruit. How is fruit produced in your life? As the sap begins to rise in the tree, right? It produces fruit. You know what the Apostle Paul said in Galatians chapter 5? He said the fruit of the Spirit is, and he listed nine aspects of the fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. What's number six? Goodness. Faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against which there is no law. Goodness, watch this. When the Spirit of God dwells within you by faith, so you come to God through faith in Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God lives within you. And Jesus said uh, in, uh, uh, in John chapter 15, he says, abide in me and I'll abide in you and you'll produce much fruit. And so as we abide in Christ connected to the vine, And the Spirit of God then begins to produce the fruit of the Spirit within our lives. And one of those is goodness. Listen, you cannot do good apart from the work of Christ in your life. I'm asking the question again, how do I do good? I can't do good unless the Spirit of God is producing goodness within me. And what he's going to do in my life then is also he's going to produce knowledge. And what happens is, is now when I'm confronted with situations that I don't know about, I go to him and I find out what is good or what is not, and I follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And then, regardless of how it all comes out, it is good that God, watch this, God is producing these good works within me. How do I please God? I please God with good works. Where do the good works come from? It comes from the work of the Spirit of God within me to produce these things. And this, why, this is why as you look across you know, Christianity, and you look at God's people, and you find that you know, God's people have always been doing things like building hospitals and orphanages, and they've been taking care of widows. And uh, they have uh, been creating places of higher edu- uh, uh, education. They've been digging water wells. They've been doing things like disaster relief. In fact, when there's a hurricane, I guarantee you the first ones there are going to be God's people. They've been providing clothing and, and taking care of hungry people and on and on and on and on. Why is this something that just continues on? Because the Spirit of God at work in the life of the child of God produces the good works. It produces knowledge and the goodness. 
And so you don't have to worry about doing good works. All you have to do is, well, do what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, he says, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to God the Father in heaven. Now, why would they give glory to God? Because he's the one producing it in your life. And so if you're going to be pleasing to God, the Spirit of God must be at work in your life producing good works, and it is good deeds that's going to please God. And that's why he says here, don't neglect doing good. That is, focus on the good and do it. Let God produce it in your life. But he doesn't end there. That's the first thing. He says, don't neglect doing what is good. But then the second thing he says, and share. Don't neglect to do what is good and to share for God is pleased with such sacrifices. And you know, as I thought about this, I thought, you know, that makes a lot of sense, sharing. Because isn't this the first thing we teach our children, you know, to share, right? I can't tell you how many times my mama said, share with your brother. I didn't want to. He didn't want to share with me. She made us. She taught us to share. A good parent is going to teach your child to share, right? I mean, that's just, that's just you know, basic being a kid 101, you know? We want our children to share. And so God says here, if you want to be pleasing to God, do what is good. You got to figure out what that is. Spirit of God's going to have to be at work within you. And then he says, and share. But you know, this word share is a very interesting word. I say it's interesting. It's very common in the New Testament. The Greek word here is koinonia. Koinonia. And it just refers to what we have in common. He says, share what you have in common. In fact, it has the article with it. So it, he's not just saying, uh, don't neglect to do what is good and share. He says, don't neglect to do the good and the share or the koinonia. It's actually the same word that, uh, that Luke used all the way back in Acts chapter 2. When it says that as everybody, on the, after the day of Pentecost, and they had all these believers, 3,000 people saved on that day, and they began to share life together. And it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to prayer, to the breaking of bread, and it says the fellowship. Same word right here, the koinonia. The word koinonia refers to what we share together in Christ. It's actually a reference to the body of Christ. What the writer of Hebrews is trying to teach us here is that we should that what God is pleased with is our doing good. That is, as the Spirit of God works within us and we we uh, we do good to others, we we let the good works flow out of our life. But also, as we share our life in the body of Christ, how do you do the koinonia? You share life. You share life with your brothers and sisters. And watch this. This is a sacrifice that comes from your body, and it ministers to the church body. It ministers to the church. Now, what this means is, is that we have a relationship or a responsibility under God for this relationship that we have in the church. 
to other brothers and sisters, to other believers. And this sharing may come in a lot of different ways. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 17, John said, If anyone has the world's goods and sees a fellow believer in need, but withholds compassion from him, how does God's love reside in him? And so in other words, John said, when you see a fellow believer, and we're talking about in the church, in need, and you have the ability to meet that need and you don't, then he says, how can you say you love God? And by the way, this is the reason that I think when this Sunday school class uh, shared with this uh, family that they did good. They were doing right according to the Word of God. It wasn't received right, but that's, but that's not uh, the, the fault of those who are trying to minister and to do right before God. That's the fault of the way it was received. And a lot of times what is received or it is received wrong. We have a responsibility for one another. We've got a responsibility to care for one another. We got a responsibility to walk together in love. And we're not just talking about money. Sometimes this, this caring for may come uh, sometime in the form of, uh, of ministry when someone is sick or when there is grief or when there is other, some other type of loss. I mean, it might come in many different ways. We are devoted, he says, to the fellowship. And when you, child of God, do not neglect the fellowship, what he's saying here is God is pleased. This is what is pleasing to God. And watch this. This sharing in the fellowship flows out of love. You can't do this. You can't do this sharing without loving. You remember Jesus said on the night before he was crucified to his disciples, he said, hey, hey guys, I want to give you a new commandment. Here's the commandment. Love one another. Love one another. And then he said, just right after this, this is found in John 13, he said, by this everyone will know that you're my disciples if you follow this commandment if you love one another. And he's talking about the brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. Now watch this. In order to complete this or fulfill this, this means we can't love one another if we don't know one another. So we have to know one another. We've got to spend time together in order to do that. When we devote ourselves to the fellowship and we love one another, what happens then is, is God is pleased in this. Do you know that, that the church is his bride? And, you know, there, I've, I've heard people say, well, I, you know, I love God, but I don't like the church. I don't like to be around those Christian people or whatnot. I mean, you know, a bunch of hypocrites and whatever thing there is. Well, you know what? If you talk down about my bride, you're going to have a problem. I'm going to have a problem with you. If you start talking down the bride of Christ, you can't get along in the bride of Christ. You're part of the bride of Christ, child of God. You're in the family of faith, whether you like it or not. You might not like everybody in your family, but you're called to love them. And if you can't love in the body of Christ, and this means a whole lot of different things. This means, first of all, i got to know you. And by the way, this is one of the reasons. And, and you know, last night we, uh, uh, we had the Harmony and Hearts Fellowship, and it was a tremendous time. This was, this was fellowship with a small f. This is fellowship with a large f. But the fellowship with a small f, you know what that does? Gives us the opportunity to get to know one another. Somebody was telling me just, a mo uh, just before I came in here, you know, it was so great last night. We sat at a table with somebody that we really in the church we didn't even know but we got to know them you know and we had the opportunity how in the world can you fulfill the word of God in the body of Christ if you don't know God's people and if we don't take the 
opportunities to get to know that. This is the reason we do things like this. Praise God for our family ministry team that is, is leading in these, uh, uh, in these events in which we have the opportunity to walk together in love. Why in the world do we do the passion play every year? I'll be honest with you. You know the greatest thing I think about the passion play. And I've been doing this now for 16 years. And praise God, it's not just that we get to share the gospel with the community. Praise God. I, I tell you what, I, that blesses my heart when I get to stand up here. And this place is fill, filled with people four different times uh, as we perform the passion play, as we, as, we, as we present it, and we get to share the gospel. Man, that is a great blessing. But you know the greatest thing I think about the passion play time is the time we spend together in the body, getting to know one another and walk together in love. I know some people uh, uh, in, this, in this church body just because you've been a part of the passion play. And so when I say, well, I don't have enough time to be in there. I don't want to. Well, what, what, I, what I'm doing is, is I'm separating myself from the opportunity to walk in love with my brothers and sisters because in order to not neglect the fellowship, I've got to know and I've got to love and I've got to share. And you know, it also means sometimes I've got to forgive because we're human beings and we're going to say things or do things or not say things or not do things and we're going to take offense at one another and this happens it's happened just this last week uh, once again, someone came to me and they were offended by something. And, and this happens many different ways. I know that people have been upset with me because I did something or said something or didn't do something or didn't say something. What happens is if we can't forgive one another, first of all, the Scripture says don't expect, or, or expect God to forgive you in the same way you forgive one another. So if you're not going to forgive, don't expect to be forgiven. Secondly, it breaks the fellowship. And he says here, do not neglect the fellowship. That means if I take offense at somebody, then I better be getting into Matthew chapter 18, figuring out what I need to do. I'm, I'm required by Scripture to go and say, hey, brother, hey, sister, uh, I did this or you did this. Let's make this right. Matthew chapter 18, he tells us you've got an offense against somebody, you go to that one. If that doesn't uh, fix it, then uh, you take somebody with you. If that doesn't fix it, then you go to the, uh, to the church body. Why? Because the fellowship is so vital. We cannot please God. God is not pleased with a divided fellowship. And if I'm not walking in fellowship with my brothers and sisters in Christ, the fellowship is divided and God is not happy. And that's true about each one of us, beloved. It's true for each one of us. You care about what God thinks? You want God to be pleased with you? He says, don't neglect doing good and don't neglect the fellowship. This is what pleases God. There's a whole lot more that I can say about this. I'm going to wrap it up right now just with asking you to ask this question. Is God pleased with me? Could we just, each one of us, right now, let's tune everything else out. And I just want you to think about this for just a second. Is God pleased with me? God, are you pleased with my life? And that means, first of all, does Jesus live within me? Does the Spirit of God flow in my life? Listen, if not, there's nothing else you're ever going to be able to do to make God happy. And since today is the day of salvation, I'm going to invite you to give your life to Christ. If you would have to sit here today, this morning, and say, I don't know Jesus, but I want to please God. I'm going to tell you that Jesus died on the cross for your sin that his blood was applied, he rose again on the third day to demonstrate that your forgiveness is complete 
And if you will put your faith in Jesus today and trust him as your Savior, you will be saved and you'll become a child of God. And let me tell you what, God is pleased with all of his children. Now, he may not like all the things we do, but he's pleased with his children. All right? Now, the second thing is, if you would have to say, I'm not sure God is pleased. Have I been doing the good? Have I been neglecting the fellowship? Whatever that might mean, there's a whole lot of different things that could come. What is it that I need to do today? Because, see, I want to be right with God this way, and I want the fruit of my lips to bring praise and glory to God, the sacrifice of praise. God, I'm just going to offer that, and I'm going to keep offering it. I'm not going to stop because this is so vital. But, God, this horizontal life is so vital to me as well, and I want to live my life pleasing to God. What do you need to do, brother, sister, child of God, to make it right with Jesus today so that the Lord God of all the universe might look down and say, hey, that's my son right there. I'm pleased with him. That's my daughter right there. Yeah, look at what she's doing. It makes me happy. Is God pleased with me? The question comes to me as I think of Calvary. Is my master satisfied with me? Father, I would ask you today in the name of Jesus, as you, Lord, just look down upon us, as you work and move in this place, Lord, as, your, as the sap of the Spirit flows in our lives, God, I would ask, Lord, that you would make it the good works, the good deeds Lord, the fellowship, you would complete it in each one of us that not one of us might be disappointed to you in any way. Lord, and if we are, we'd get it right today. And Father, for the one or two or however many here that just can't seem to please you in any way because they've never trusted Jesus. Lord, today I pray that as you move through this place that these decisions might be made for you. I ask this in the name of Jesus who gave his life for us, the one in whom we have life.